the expression from the music inspired me so much to take risks and it inspired damn near the whole rap game. Hello again, I'm Adam Unz. You may know me as the host of The Opus, and now I'm bringing my own show, The Spark Parade, to the Consequence Podcast Network. I speak with artists and creatives about the cultural artifacts that spark their personal interest and creativity, whether it's music, books, movies, video games, or any other kind of art. I've never spoke about it in this amount of detail. I'm suddenly going, oh my God, I'm blowing my own mind here, Christ. It's, it's actually a giant part of my life. By talking about the things we love, we share and discover insights into our personality and the things that drive us. It's just magic, really. I mean, frustrating and it makes some people angry, but I don't think anyone's ever done anything like it. I speak with people like Connor Robers, Phoenix's Thomas Mars, Chris Gethard, Helen Hong, Adrian Young, and more, so their sparks of inspiration can start a fire in you. I'm grateful for those who continue to put our history and who we are as a people in the forefront and make you see it. Find the Spark Parade wherever you get your podcasts. Hey pod people, Engineer Adam here, jumping in for a quick second to let you know about the brand new all-in-one platform for all of you creative podcasters out there. Anchor makes it easier than ever to make a podcast. It's free to use and has all the creation tools you need to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Plus, Anchor will get your podcast set up on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are found. Even better, Anchor helps you connect with sponsors, even if you're just starting out. It's the perfect choice for podcasters, so make sure to check it out. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Back to the show. Consequence Podcast Network. people. Leo Phillips here on This Must Be The Gig, your backstage pass to the world of live music. Every week we bring you fascinating conversations from the beating heart of the performance scene with some of the most exciting names on this gigantic, big, spongy globe. We talk passion, we talk first concerts, last concerts, and everything in the Juicy Center. This week on the podcast, I'm delighted to welcome the extraordinarily brilliant and profoundly batty BBC QI elves Dan Schreiber and Anna Tyshinsky from my all-time favorite podcast, No Such Thing as a Fish. We chat about the wonder of a fact-based podcast in a factless world, their upcoming live tour and a brand new book, plus some brilliant music and Halloween facts so you can learn more about witches on hallucinogens and Louis Capaldi's bathroom antics. But before we put the wee into Halloween, Let's check in with our constant companion <laughs> here at the show for our favorite feature. Hello, Engineer Adam. Hey, hi, hello. How's it going? I'm doing well. I'm excited to once again dig into our favorite feature here at TMBTG yeah. Studios. That is the live show of the week. Mm-hmm. Every week, we highlight one of the most heart-thumping events out there that we could find and share it with you, our pod people, so you can head to the show. So this week's live show of the week, we're looking at a performance from the living legend, the Elton John at State Farm Arena in Atlanta. It is on both Friday and Saturday, November 1st and 2nd. That's right. Two shots to go see the man, Elton John. This is supposed to be his very last tour. So you absolutely need to go out there and take any chance you can get to see Elton John. 
And if you want to get in on the excitement of that show or any other, you can head over to StubHub via cosradio.lv slash StubHub and find the best selection of tickets to the hottest shows. That's cosradio.lv slash S-T-U-B-H-U-B. S-T-U-B-H-U-B. That's cosradio.lv slash StubHub. So let us focus on this week's interview. We have a special crossover with one of the absolute greatest podcasts of all time, the award-winning comedy podcast, No Such Thing as a Fish. Some of you may be fans of the British comedy panel show QI, which is a little quiz show where funny and interesting responses are rewarded, as well as right answers. The show's research is known as the QI Elves. Dan Schreiber, Andrew Hunter-Murray, Anna Tashinsky and James Harkin wind up with so much eccentric trivia that they decided to host a sort of spin-off podcast, which is no such thing as a fish and it has been my favorite for many many years and followed me through many milestones and uh, crazy points in my life each week for the past five years the four hosts share their favorite facts of the week some really off the wall trivia that is equally jaw-droppingly delightful and hilarious i have cackled out loud on many commutes. <laughs> Plus, Anna and Dan share some of our favorite facts from their new book, the book of the year 2019, including Ozzy Osbourne's never-ending retirement tour. And since this episode will air the day before Halloween, we go full spooky and talk about Halloween trivia, including the anus-induced reason that witches ride broomsticks. <laughs> so we ride tonight in no particular order. This is me, Dan and Anna gathering around the microphones. That is a TM trademark of no such thing as fish. Enjoy! Also, can we say it's my birthday? Happy birthday to you. you. Let them eat cake. I mean, this is this has been of a weird week because we've been on a book tour around the UK. So we've we've been playing different cities every night, and we played our last one last night. So that was in Manchester. So we've done a lot of traveling today. We only got back to the office about an hour ago or two hours ago. Yeah, wow. feeling pretty ropey actually. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. How was the show last night, though? Do you feel Do you feel like you even remember what happens, or is it all always just like a blur on stage? Uh, th- no, they've been they've been very fun. Last night was probably um, one of our biggest struggles because the night before we had a bit too much of a big night, and that sort of hence the reason I'm sorry James couldn't be here today. But I think he might have done himself some kind of permanent damage. Yeah, but uh, no, they were they were really fun shows. We basically do it like our podcast where we bring an in- our most interesting fact to the conversation, but all the facts on this tour have been taken from our new book. Yeah. Oh, actually, no, we did something quite cool with this. The um, So we've done book tours in the past for the last two books. And so as Anna says, it's sort of like uh, taking best material and finding new material. But we we released the book yesterday, but the audiobook doesn't come out until the 31st. And so what we did with these live shows is we recorded extracts from the book that are now going to be put into the audiobook. So it's suddenly going to be a normal audiobook. And then you've got a whole live section from Manchester. All right. Well, I mean, congratu- before we carry on, congratulations on the book. I think it's no small feat to put something out, especially uh, this is now your third one. So congratulations to you both. I, I'm sure it's a big 
It's a big moment. It's cool. It's really cool. It's we're so proud of it, and it's it's funny. It's fun talking about it. We've been talking about it to people now, and you suddenly realize all those little jokes that you got. Uh, sort of excited about at the time and then got bored of through the edit and then hated by the end are now funny again. Yeah. <laughs> how long did it take you? I don't want to say how long did it take you to put it together? Because I'm sure it's like, how long is my life? I've been doing it forever. But how long did this particular, when did this particular project actually get started? Well, we do have quite a good finite sort of like time brackets in which we have to write because basically it's a book of the you know for your listeners it's a book of the year's most interesting weird mad news and so we basically have to write it when the news is happening and so we spend the first three months of the year sort of gathering incessantly gathering as many news stories as we can and dumping them into this one big shared folder and then we keep doing that and literally until pretty much submission day and then we start in the summer we sort of form these facts these news facts into proper articles about it and we write about the things we're most interested in so it takes pretty much oh we're very lucky because most people when they publish books they have sort of a two-year lag time between when they hand the book in published but we literally handed it in about two weeks ago and it's just been published so yeah we were scribbling literally as they were putting it through the press (laughs) so yeah no it's amazing what it means as well we've got to see three books get published and written in the space of three years which is incredibly rare as Anna says yeah no absolutely but so then is the process because you're on such a short time crunch and you have that bracket is the process then almost less stressful I find like if I don't have a deadline I feel like my mind can just wander openly forever so does this does this almost make it more focused and kind of lessen the challenge of having it so open-ended um, yeah, I guess, you know, there's there's plus and minuses to the system. Um, you'd love always to have more than, say, three months to write a book. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I think anyone would love that. Um, but absolutely, you know, it means you just have to bash it out. But that, that means that it's an incredibly stressful time. And it's for people who put their brains to the book as well. So that's trying to make compromises along the way in such a small space of time is, is also a challenge. Um, but we're very we always let the idea win. So actually, if you have an argument, the argument's not about you as people, it's about the idea. And then you get a better book when the when the other person makes the better argument. Yeah, and we should say, so we're sort of saying we've written this whole book in the summer, but there are four of us. So really, we've right, written right. a caution. <laughs> and that's a piece of cake. I mean, I feel like it's still a book. It's still something that's going to be out there for a long time. So it's got that kind of, uh, it's got that stigma attached to it. You know, it's it's the it's a thing that actually represents you in a physical form, other than your your bodies and your touring. Um, so I think it's a it's a monumental moment. I think it's a it's a big time. So congrats on that. But I, I have to say, honestly, I'm just sitting here. I feel like I've spoken to you both before which is the strangest sensation because i've been listening to you for so many years and (laughs) yes i first listened to you on soundcloud many many years ago um wow Wow, you're an original i'm an og i think it says on the front cover i just got a copy from your uh, pr here in the u.s they sent me a nice little digital copy but i've only had it for like an hour (laughs) so i can't speak much to it but it says like over 200 million downloads already of this what yeah. is that is that a year or day or month when is that no, that's, that's just all together it could easily just be the same person who from the start <laughs> is it me? I, I, I think it's you, I think it's me, guys. Yeah. 
but what is it like then having that relationship with your listeners now that you've been doing tours and live shows and do people come up to you and kind of do what I'm doing right now? <laughs> um, yeah, they, you know, particularly because we've just finished this sort of mini tour, um, we do get that in the cure, uh, in the queues and we love it. I mean, it's a, it's an unintended consequence of what we were doing because we're not we're not on the show. Obviously, we're not saying anything about ourselves. Like I think often there's a lot of shows out there where mm -hmm. the hosts themselves really put themselves out there and really emotionally open up. And you can see how that helps people have the confidence to do that. But we don't do that. We just talk facts. And it's amazing that what we do has that sort of impact on people's lives. And we get we get some amazing stories um, from people in the queues of um, supreme anxiety that means that they're such so badly have it they're cripplingly held in their house you know they can't come out yet they came to our show they thought no I'm I'm gonna get past this and come to the show and you just think like, just want to say a few dick jokes like we're yeah not. <laughs> you're right I think it's quite an intimate experience when you're listening to a podcast you know in your ears it is like you're with your friends they're just they're Absolutely. just talking to you and so I think people come to our shows and they're, you know, traumatized by the fact that we have faces. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think that that's, and I think that that's a product of the genre, of course, you know, radio, again, why radio just worked so well and interview-based podcasts are, you know, a, a thing that also works well because you do get to know the subject. And to your point, Dan, of course, there's hosts, you know, like a Mark Maron or a Conan or whomever who do these interviews and then they push themselves into the conversation but I feel like we find out so much about the the four of you via the choices that you make in terms of which facts you choose to to tell yeah that's true. so interesting yeah oh yeah of course it is well I mean you know Dan's going to choose a fact that may or may not be true well, uh, right. <laughs> about some kind of mythical creature or other right. and exactly. <laughs> yeah yeah we definitely all have the areas we like to stray into uh, in terms of our research so James, obviously, who, who was going to be here is a kind of a scientist by degree. And so he will do often kind of science facts or he likes working things out, you know, um, so putting two things together. I think we had a fact once that the Statue of Liberty has size is it 879 shoes, mm. um, which I think that's from somewhere else. But it's facts like that. Yeah. Uh, that he always, I think I love kind of just dipping into weird old newspapers and just finding out like myself in just life hundreds of years ago or I think my my favorite um sort of find there was when I just found an old paper from the 1840s I think that there was a little article about how there was a plan to just like funeral places uh graveyards are getting full up and people were discussing in Italy what to do with bodies and they said why don't we start rolling bodies up to the top of Mount Vesuvius and just throwing them in? <laughs> and then our plans for a railway that would carry them up there. They're just going to toss them into the lava. <laughs> I mean, I think it's pretty accurate. I think that's a great way to use your resources. You know, you're feeding the monster and also getting rid of dead exactly. monsters. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> But I feel like so many people are familiar with your voices now. So what surprises them when they meet you, other than finding out that you both have faces? <laughs> what surprises them? Uh, I, I think, well, I don't know if you've had this experience, but we're still in the place where if we're out and someone recognizes us, 
we get excited that we've been recognized by someone. Oh, and sure. So, yeah. So we end up talking too much to them to the point where they're like, okay, I need to go actually. I was just, I just wanted a quick hello. I'm like, no, no, I just wanted like, to know the time. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> but I feel like sometimes when someone has an image that does get out there, it's it's exactly the comedian trope. It's like people define them by that work forever. Do you feel like you are both defined by it? Like are people like, "Hey, nice baby, but tell me a fact." No, I think I think we're pretty tied in, aren't we? Yeah, but I think that's something that we're so happy with. You know, it's we're all people who I think we wouldn't work that well on like a deep interview podcast, maybe because we I think we might have very boring inner psyches, but mm. we furnish <laughs> ourselves with all the, these incredible facts, and so we just love it. Like the favorite thing is to have people come up to us after shows and tell us an interesting fact or think that we're just fact machines. Yeah, um, and it also encourages. It's it's nice if the tone is someone knows that you do something factual. Let's say you're at a dinner party, they then want to tell you an interesting fact. And I think the reality, at least this is my impression of it, the reality is conversations are way better when someone lobs an interesting thing in. Otherwise, sometimes it's really hard to make connections with people because you don't know where to start. You have no basis for a for a chat, and so you end up talking about the weather or you know something real or oh, what's going on with politics. But if someone says, oh, you work in facts, well, I, I'm a mechanic, uh, found out this interesting thing. Suddenly everyone's involved. Suddenly everyone feels free to to have a subject that unites them. And yeah, yeah. so it's it's good for dinner parties. It's a bonding experience whenever you have that. And as you said, like having a conversation is so tricky, especially now that we're all with having things in our ears. You know, I have more, I feel like I listen to more podcasts than I do have sometimes conversations during the day yeah. i'm listening to these random strangers tell me just a whole bunch of crap all the time yeah. and it's just filling my brain and then when you meet somebody out in public you're like i don't know what to do with my hands uh, you know it's, it's a it's a it's a tricky thing but i was just reading today that tony bennett apparently um sees himself as a painter not a musician despite a what 90 year career in music wow, or 40 really? albums or whatever yeah really? Wow. Yeah, he sees the painter. I think that's that's it, it is quite common, I think, with artists. They sort of accidentally oh. get incredibly popular off something that they thought <laughs> yeah. wasn't that great. Oh, there was an astronaut who saw themselves as a painter. And do you remember? It was someone yeah. who flew with Buzz Aldrin, Charlie I think. Duke. I think it was Duke. Charlie Duke. And his fellow astronaut called him up once and was like, do you want to do an interview about when we went into space? And he, he just, Duke just said, well, I'm not really into space these days. I just do. I'm a painter. Art is so easy to speak emotionally and articulate your words sometimes. You know, um, sometimes music yeah. or musicians, they're so close to it, they can't step out from it. I feel sorry for musicians in interviews to an extent because they have a thing where an album is such a long process to put together. Then you do the recording. Then the whole thing needs to be packed together. And by yep. the time it comes out, they're already working on the next album. So then they have to be in the daytime working on their new sound, but mm. going to interviews, talking about their old sound as if it's the new sound. Yeah, I mean, that an absolute yeah it would mess with your head yeah how long did it take for both of you to get to the point where you were doing work that you wanted to do so whether that was for the podcast or for qi when did you finally find that place in in your careers where you were satisfied with with everything that you were doing uh for me it was it was kind of immediately because i i had a plan i guess from teenagehood I, was, I, was, I almost want to say from about 12 years old i knew i wanted to be in comedy and i spent my life 
just reading and watching comedy as a fan, just being obsessed with it all the way up until 19. And I moved over to the UK. And really, the first person I met in the industry was the person who's still my boss today, which is John Lloyd. And I, if you're a comedy fan and you arrive in a new country, I mean, it doesn't get much better than meeting him on, as the first person. You know, this this is the guy who's given us Black Adder and not the nine o'clock news and, you know, Coco <laughs> and he had Spitting Image and wrote, you know, two episodes of the original Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy radio series. This guy is like the, the Genius. biggest Genius. producer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and met him straight away and gave me a job. <laughs> then I moved into a house very randomly. Um, the guy who I lived with, his dad, was the guy who produced Faulty Towers and Monty what? Python. Yeah, it was. It, I was just like, well, that was easy. So <laughs> mine, mine was a bit lucky. Yeah, Dan has this weird knack of all, always falling. <laughs> I remember we actually, Monty Python did like a reunion tour here about two or three years ago. Yeah. It's probably even more. Yeah. And um, I remember we were all sort of struggling about how we would get tickets and talking about how we were going to go about doing it. And we said to Dan, I think our colleague Alex said to Dan, Dan, do you want to get involved with us and try and buy some tickets for this? And Dan was like, no, I think I'll just go. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah, I think I'll just end up going. What, you just think tickets are going to fall into your lap? <laughs> and lo and behold, about a day before their first gig, he was like, oh, someone just offered me a pair of tickets to this backstage access. Oh, man, yeah. one of those. Yeah. One of those guys. Yeah. Dan, I'm so opposite to you. Everything goes wrong. Even if I have a ticket, I will somehow manage to lose that ticket or give it away because I just feel bad <laughs> someone isn't going instead of me. I mean, that's that's. you've used it to good effect, though. I feel like you've put it to good use. You're not abusing your power, I hope. Yeah, no, 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 it's not using it at all. It's all it's all just stupidity that gets uh, confused. It's only at a moment like this where you realize, oh, okay, that worked out. There's uh, many things failed as well. But so is there an unusual fact that you know about one another that you haven't, how do I phrase this? That I haven't thought about this until now, but is there something that you know about one another that you both haven't discussed? Basically, you're asking us, what do we always bitch about, about that person <laughs> yes. when they're not there? Yeah. Anna, well, you get me. Yes, basically, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. There's a lot of stuff. There was definitely some talk when Dan got a new pair of glasses about six months ago. Oh, yeah. There was definitely some behind-his-back discussion about that, whether we liked them. It was a huge move. Like, his trademark is his glasses, and my God, these are different. What do we they came- look like? Uh, no, they're, they're really good. They're nice. They're, it's just different. Um, they're, they're afraid of change. Um, <laughs> speak about Anna. She... Look, it just takes a while to get used to new things, yeah. doesn't it? It's true. Um, it's true. I feel like we don't have anything. I don't have anything interesting about you that, um, I mean, you have stuff about wow. you, but uh, I know it all. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I can't think of anything either. Um, I think because I think because uh, we're quite odd. I think generally, like <laughs> things, we tend to ask each other about it all the time. Like I'll yeah. grill Anna about her her weird personality traits um, <laughs> that she has uh, all like the what? time. Yeah, you do. Um, <laughs> well, she's she's. I go to Anna to sort of get a moral compass on things because I I used to think I knew how the world worked and how things were, and I realise every time I open my mouth with my opinion around Anna, she explains why I'm wrong, but cor- <laughs> but correctly. So not as if like it's, there's no debate. Like when she says that's not true, this is why it is. I'm like, whoa. Why do I bother saying opinions anymore? I've, yeah. I'm clearly got the wrong end of the stick. <laughs> One. You just got to come to me. Yeah. Uh, 
You're an oracle. You like the QI elf oracle. That's dangerous. If I am Dan's moral compass, then the world is doomed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think because also we really do spend an obscene amount of time together. Now, there's almost nothing we could not know about each other. If anything happened in my past from pre these guys, then it's lost in the mists of time. Yeah. Um, Because, yeah, we go on tour all the time. So we're together like for weeks on end doing evening shows and then obviously work every day. Then we go abroad. So obviously we'll come to America and we see each other definitely probably more than I definitely more than I see my partner. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Yeah, more than you see your child, probably. It's yeah, it's a, the yeah. We kind of share, yeah, we kind of share everything, even though you don't realize it. We don't. It's only talking to you now that you sort of go, oh yeah, like like I tell you my results from my fertility checks. You know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't ask. It's not always information that you want to. Hear. I bet it was a good report, so I had to. <laughs> Oh you have to God. have that sort of familial uh, bonding because the way that you all talk on the show and the work that you do, there needs to be some sort of like mind, what's the phrase, like a mind melding, you know, where yeah. you, you're able to obviously bring facts every week that you all know, but then also from what I understand, just from listening to the show for a long time, then you don't tell each other all the other facts that you're trying to you know, bring to the bring to the show each week. That's that's yeah, that's the the secret sauce to the whole idea is that it's not pre written or pre planned. It's um, I found out a bunch of stuff. You found out a bunch of stuff. Let's tell each other mm-hmm. while we're talking in front of microphones. Yeah, you know when you're younger and people talk about how teamwork is a really important quality in a job <laughs> interview, and you basically have no idea what that means, and you just claim you're good at it. And um, it's real practice, but once you've had to do it so intensely, you realize mm-hmm. how kind of exciting it is, that weird mind melding. Like writing this book, we were in the same room for sort of two and a half months once we had all the ideas together. And we're just literally sitting there writing and talking and writing and talking and exchanging ideas and having disagreements. But it is like we're kind of all operating as one weird blob that's going one way or the other, but like constantly knowing exactly what the everyone thinks and means about anything not to say we don't have this yeah and i suppose what's wonderful about that is also that when you share big experiences with one another which is again why love happens why family is important like it's it's like if you skydived with someone you'll always be no you'll i don't know why i use that as an example but you'll always know them for that moment and the truth is like podcasting when you guys started it was a thing but I suppose the type of podcast that you were making wasn't something that, well, I as a listener, maybe just because I wasn't open to other things like it, but I'd never heard anything like that. And you took a risk in putting this thing out. I'm sure at the time it didn't feel like that. But that was like a leap of faith that you all took together. And again, going in front of crowds, that's another experience. I'm likening this all to skydiving because I feel like what you do is <laughs> an amazing achievement. Anna, Anna and James particularly have had the biggest evolution um, in our experience because Andy and I, we both, I do stand up or used to do stand up um, before this really kicked off. And Andy's a performer on stage as well. And so we, we were used to that. But Anna and James had done nothing like this before. James had done some interviews and he works in TV, but Anna was quite fresh to this. I don't think he'd ever done an interview before. No. She certainly never performed on stage unless you did something at school when you were younger. Um, no. So the hardest part to begin with was treating um, the what was looking like it was a thing that was exploding and just getting bigger. 
in a kind of sensitive way to make sure we weren't forcing Anna into something she didn't want to do. Because, you know, saying, let's go on stage and do this live. Anna was like, well, I've never wanted to do this. This yeah. is not part of my plan at all. I have... Yeah, I forgot I was really reluctant at the start, wasn't I? Super reluctant. It was, I really had to push to get them onto stage. And it Um, wasn't fear. I I don't get particularly nervous. I don't really, it's not something I've ever wanted to do. So it's not like I'm staking my life and ego on this. I just thought, I've never really had the urge to stand up in front of a thousand people. Why would I bother? But um, no, I mean, it's fantastic. I got over that. And I think we we had a really great show. Our first ever show was in this little underground bar in London. And one of our facts, I think it might have been Dan's fact or my fact, was about Charles Dickens, the headline fact, which was that um, when Charles Dickens, I think it was when he was touring America, actually, because he used to do these mm-hmm. big tours of the US and read out his books and like do good renditions of his novels to huge crowds. And before he went on stage, every time he would drink a pint of champagne. That was right, wasn't it? So we, before that show, we downed a pint of champagne (laughs) just to live that experience. And we haven't really looked back from that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, you can't physically because you're drunk on a pint of champagne. But uh, did you, did you, do you do that now in, in, before every show? Is that the, is is that now a pre-show ritual that you do? Yeah, the champagne turned out to be a bit of a budget breaker, but there's, there's definitely a lot of cheap wine and beer that gets consumed. Yeah, we do. We do drink. I, we're very unprofessional in that sense. You know, <laughs> yeah. if you talk to like a great, you know, comedian, they don't touch alcohol until like, you know, two hours after a show. We're on it two hours before we've got drinks <laughs> on stage. We're tanked by the end. It's terrible. Yeah, I don't remember any of our gigs. <laughs> But I do want to ask you about a year into your 10 years of podcast, you put out a vinyl record called The Complete First Year of No Such Thing as a Fish, which yes. um, featured a bonus recording, I know, of the show with the with Corey Taylor from Slipknot. Yeah, yeah that's great. Yeah. And yeah. that's such an unexpected guest i suppose not it's not in the realm of you know of course we expect the unexpected with you but how did that come about why was that something that was even on the table i just yeah it's (laughs) so strange Um, by bizarre like just a bizarre happenstance so we are all workers researchers on qi the bbc tv show and Corey taylor is a huge fan so he used to tweet QI and actually his agent had written to QI a few times and said, can he come on QI? He loves weird, nerdy facts. And um, oh so we still petitioned for him. It wasn't the normal thing, but we invited him on the podcast instead. And he was fantastic. We well, had so much fun. Yeah, but this was this was before. he, he So he's been on an episode of the podcast. He was on our 100th episode. Um, but the vinyl was way before that. Of course. Yeah, so we the whole premise of having a vinyl was because we were about to do our first tour and my big obsession in life outside of comedy has always been to have been in a band and oh. we were about to go on. And I was like, if you go on tour, you need a record. Like that's, that's why you go on tour. <laughs> and uh, Ash Gardner, who's the singer songwriter of our theme tune with the band Emperor. Yes. Mm-hmm. He had a, um, he released a vinyl through Alcopop, who's a British mm-hmm. indie lady. And so I said to him, do you reckon Alcopop would be up for us doing a record? And they said, yes. So we signed to Alcopop and then that we were insane. It was so cool. And we, we did the vinyl and we did a special yellow edition of it. And just before it was going to press, we had this idea of maybe getting Corey Taylor because we knew this connection as an extra, but we hadn't really had any contact and he didn't know the podcast. So we DM'd him on Twitter just saying, could you say something like this? And then a few hours later, we just got this email with an audio file of him going, hey, it's Corey, and saying yeah. what we needed. It's so cool. 
I love it when that happens. It's so yeah. cool. It was such fun. And we managed to sneak it on at the end. And then he came in to do the show and he wants to come back on. I mean, he, we had such a fun time with him. He's such a cool dude. He's such a dork. He's so <laughs> He came in with like a Sherlock Holmes t-shirt on. He'd just been to like yeah. some Doctor Who shop. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I love it when that happens when you have people reaching out to you because there's also like some sense of everything's kind of organic in the show. It's not like, as you said, Anna, it's not like you. this is something that you've envisioned your entire life to get on stage and, mm. you know, be in front of a live audience. But it is nice and natural when it comes to you, as opposed to you having to scout people out and putting them into a box, as opposed to the person just saying, I really love the show, you know, have me yeah. on. Yeah, definitely. It does all tend to happen pretty naturally. The occasions we have guests, which isn't that often, to be honest, it's always someone who's kind of a friend and also like kind of weird or interesting. So I think one of our other great guests was Erica McAllister, who's just this curator of um flies at the natural history museum and an amazing <laughs> human being and yeah. we know her and love her and she comes on but yeah we never sort of go touting for just some big famous name for the sake of it so when you send each other the facts of the week you send that through email you send that on like a monday or whatever whenever for the week yeah so yeah. what is the subject of that email do you have like a goal for the week or is it just always uh, this week's episode yeah no it's just uh okay we need to record on wednesday or on friday um let's start can we get facts in by the end of today if possible and so we all go away and we start reading and stuff and then email each other three or four options and pick the best one yeah yeah i think we've just usually there's one of us sort of hounding the others forward i think andy's andy sent the usual email today saying guys we've got to record two shows next week <laughs> facts give us some facts. And then, yeah, we respond. And I think we're going to be, what are we going to be talking about? We're going to be talking about raccoons, I think. Oh. So I think in one of them, spoiler, is that yeah. 80% of uh, Japan's um, electrical equipment is damaged by raccoons, has raccoon damage. <laughs> They're a major problem. <laughs> but are, um, they eating, are they eating it or are they just damaging, like graffiti? Eating and... it doing... oh yeah, they're God. not just vandalizing it just because they're, you know bastards they're sort of doing away <laughs> so we focus a lot on first concerts on the show we always talk to guests about their first shows whether it's like the most embarrassing choir performance that they watched at church when they were nine years old or something super cool that you know we probably think they're lying about so w what was your both of the first concerts that you attended or perhaps the first live performance or comedy show that really is memorable for you I've got a few. Um, so I was born and raised in Hong Kong. And so I had, I had all my memories there are blurred um, as to which one was the I remember seeing Janet Jackson and um, it being a bit of a weird gig. We were sat behind the stage. So we walked around to the front and mm. no one was dancing. It was a really reserved audience. So we were dancing in the front row and she started dancing with us. So that was really cool. Oh, my God. Oh my God. Um, get off the stage but she was she came up to the front and was pointing and giggling at us and, mm. and dancing along um and then um yeah. i saw yeah. um i saw brian adams um which was very funny <laughs> because he got to a chorus and he did that classic thing of as he hit the chorus he stopped playing and he put the microphone out to the audience but no one knew the song <laughs> <laughs> no one sang back and he went and he stopped the song and he went whoa whoa, whoa hang on what's what's going on here are you got to sing back and he went let's try it again and he did it again and no one sang back and he went does no one 
know the words. So then he sang the chorus and he taught, he was like, I'm going to teach you this song because we need to do this. And so we all had to learn this song as a, as a stadium <laughs> and, then, and then play it back. Uh, and then wow. eventually he let the concert go on. Um, wow. Yeah. That's I like cool, that he Brian. was so committed. Yeah, cool dude. I like that he was so committed to that though. He's like, well, fuck it. I'm not going to be embarrassed by you peasants. I'm going yeah, to teach exactly. you. <laughs> When when this is recorded, the live album, it's gonna sound like you knew every word verbatim. <laughs> yes. It was my best song. Okay. Exactly. Screw you guys. Exactly. Um, oh my god, the two one is more embarrassing than the other. So Great. I think my first memory is probably I've been to see Bruce Springsteen four times. Um and, I love him, and so I, I went to see him in Hyde Park with my dad when I was uh, 11 or 12, which was amazing, and I just love him. But also, more embarrassingly, I think around about that same time, I did go to see the Spice Girls. We went on what? this. What? That's not embarrassing. Is that, that's, 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 they cool no, they're oh. cool now. Do you, they, right. two, it's the year 2019. They are very, very cool now. No, I didn't want to come back around. Oh, okay. No. <laughs> it, it, I did do an embarrassing thing, though. Oh. I actually, uh, we went because we stayed in this big house, like a big group of family friends. And the person who was cooking in this house was the chef of the Spice Girls, this lovely <laughs> girl called Mickey. And so she said, like me and my sister, these two little girls who love the Spice Girls, do you want to come and you can come backstage beforehand? And so we were so excited, like, wetting ourselves. And we went backstage beforehand and there's a little group of sort of, 15 people have got these backstage passes and the Spice Girls come in and sort of say hello to everyone. And I remember we were sitting there and David Beckham was in the corner looking really shy what? and awkward because come <laughs> Victoria Beckham and they just started going out. And um, they came round and I just remember Becca had this, my sister had this really nice chat with Sporty Spice who was my second favorite. And um, then Sporty Spice came around to me and I started to talk and I was really sick and I blew a massive snot bubble out of my nose <laughs> and it burst in her face and she sort of went back and went, oh, you're all right, and then just moved on. And that's my only interaction with the Spice Girls. It was really sad. Oh my God, I feel like I'm hyperventilating. That is the funniest story. <laughs> So wait, so she was really kind about it, about you blowing a snot bubble? She she wasn't she was like, get away from me. She was a combination of kind and grossed out. Okay. And I think okay. probably got some wet wipes on her face where <laughs> my bogey had landed um, quite quickly. But she was she was nice about it. So who is your first? I just missed that. Who is your, because you said she's your second favorite. Who's your first favorite? Mel B. In fact, it was maybe Mel B, Jerry and Sporty Spice equal second. Jerry? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, Jerry was that. my favorite at the time. Was she? Well, when I was, you know, 12, I was a kid of the ACs as well. She was the most bolshy yeah, kind of. Bolshy. Yeah, you know, that's true. British girl. I mean, Baby was the one that I think we all were kind of in love with. Yeah. Um, everyone fancied her. Yeah. You sent through some facts, um, some amazing facts through to, to us a few days ago. Do you want to pick a few favorites of the Halloween and music facts and maybe. If we can find some sort of crossover, do you want to go through some of those? Yeah, sure. We can we can give you our favorite of either. Yeah, yeah. I think we because we don't we obviously don't have time for all of them because otherwise because I'll be shouted at by your by your PR <laughs> for taking too <laughs> for taking too much time. Um, oh no, it's fine. But We're so not, yeah. I love all of these the music facts. I mean. Oh, fantastic and especially because they are from your new book so should we start there 
Yeah, so we we do have an article in our, in our book, which is the headline is a man attending Phil Collins not yet dead tour died and then came back to life, and it's basically a whole article about kind of show must go on stuff, all these tours that were interrupted by these weird events. So at the Phil Collins thing, then someone sort of collapsed, got given CPR, came back to life. Very exciting. Phil Collins managed to somehow rejuvenate them. But there's all sorts of others. So um, there's... I think it was an actual doctor who rejuvenated the uh, the dead person. <laughs> okay, think, so not just Phil Collins. I think I hear you calling and the air came on and he went, oh, well, I'm not going to be dead for this. Look, I think it's the music of Phil Collins to medical expertise. Um, so there was Lewis Capaldi. Do we... Yeah. yeah, it's Capaldi. Yeah, yeah. Um, who needed the toilet mid-performance, and so went to the loo with his microphone oh and gave a running God. commentary of the entire episode, which is nice. Oh. I think you can. Hear, I think it's online somewhere. Isn't you it? can. Yeah, yeah. You hear him in the toilet, and there's a moment where clearly the uh, the urine touches the water of the toilet, and the whole crowd goes, "Oh." <laughs> amazing but it's weird because it was so we started looking in once we read that that had happened that this had been interrupted we did this big trawl you know what else has concerts have been paused for what bizarre reasons and it's weird things like nelly was on stage and he paused the concert because someone untied his shoelace from the crowd yeah i don't think i read this one what wait how did they untie it were they just really close to the stage We, this is a debate we've had as yeah. well in the office. We're not sure how you would untie someone's laces, but maybe, you know, because you, you can see video footage of bands like, you know, Beyonce or Coldplay, you know, they go, they touch hands with the crowd. So it's not inconceivable they can touch foot. But it is because you can see the video of that one and you see him sort of stride down the stage and he's quite close to the crowd. But then he gets to the end of the stage, looks down and then looks really pissed off because of the shoelace thing but you don't you can't really see it must have been a magician or something no absolutely or he just didn't tie his shoelace and was embarrassed and decided to blame an innocent fan for (laughs) (laughs) pause the podcast pause the podcast are you looking at a calendar full of great events but struggling to find tickets stubhub's gotcha Whatever your favorite band, team, or venue, StubHub is here to save the day with the best tickets for any budget. Whether you're looking for a seat at a Broadway show, tickets to the summer's big arena tour, or a night of cheering on your hometown team, StubHub has the seats you're looking for at the price you want to pay. Head to cosradio.lv StubHub or their user-friendly app to find tickets that are 100% guaranteed by FanProtect. StubHub's never sold out with the most shows, the most tickets, and the most fans. So head on over to cosradio.lv slash StubHub or the StubHub app. The best tickets to the best experiences in music, sports, and theater. That's cosradio.lv slash StubHub. situations that like i find you a lot of the you know celebrity kind of people magazine or one of those things it's always like they always run these pieces about musicians like wetting themselves because they can't leave and do like a lewis capaldi thing you know Mm. to take and then there's all these there's all those stories of how i always ask artists like what do you do when you just need to go to the bathroom because I was once um, watching a wrestling match many, many years ago in 1997, 96, I think. And Steve, uh, Steve, um, called, what's it? Stone called Steve Austin. Steve Austin, yeah. The wrestler, mm-hmm. he actually um, pooped 
in his pants. Um, wow. Yes. And it's been like a rumor for a while. Like I was in, I don't know how old I was, 96. So I was 11 years old. And I remember like <laughs> the crowd was going crazy and nobody really realized anything because it was with that Yokozuna who's like 600 pounds. Yeah. Um, shame, rest in peace. He's, he's, he's gone. But, um, I also wasn't a wrestling fan. I was dragged there by my brother, just a note to know to whoever's listening. They're like, what the hell? Um, <laughs> and I, I just remember, I think from that moment, I was so scarred that um, we thought it happened. And then the other day, he actually um, said that it was true. Oh, did he? So, he that's so exciting. Wow. So that, that is, that's a real was fact. It, how did you know it was how, Like, Was it sort of within his pants so or so he was he was where he they wear those like black kind of shorts yeah and so he was wearing the black shorts and i remember there was like a moment of pause in the crowd and nobody really knew what was going on i only found out the story later on because i was so young i was just kind of like oh i'm at a wrestling match what is going on um, so cool. and they they didn't stop the show, which I think was why a lot of people thought it was just a rumor. Like, oh, we're going to make this joke about a wrestler shitting in, in his pants. And then it turned out that he confirmed it. And at the moment when it happened, I think obviously a lot of the uh, reps and things like that were running around. He apparently just looked up at Yoko, uh, Yokozuna and just said like, Yoke, let's go home. I'm paraphrasing. Um, and go home and wrestle speak is, is like, let's just finish and get out of here. Yeah. Um, so that's, I don't know any like artists that have shat in their pants on stage. Oh, but I, I, can, I can imagine a wrestler, it's easier for a wrestler to do, right? Yeah. Well, they, they are wearing sort of lycra, sort of swim swimwear almost. Old right. um, <laughs> has, if you picture Speedos, he mm. wears black Speedos basically so you got a lot of grip around it's not going out anywhere not if you're careful out. About it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah okay i got a cool um yokozuna fact oh. uh, yeah i mean it's not a great fact it's just a it's a nice little thing to know so yeah. yokozuna just so anna knows yeah i'm looking very confused he, he would basically present it as a sumo wrestler yes. and squash people with a with a big sort of he'd go on the ropes and jump on them but he was he was the size of a yokozuna of a yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but um, so he's not from Japan. He's from Hawaii. Mm -hmm. And I found out what his real name is. I mean, you can find it very easily, but you rarely look for these kind of things. Mm -hmm. what, do you, what do you think his real name would be? Oh, there's something really dweeby like <laughs> Nigel. It's Rodney. Rodney. Because <laughs> <laughs> his real name's Rodney. Aww, what a sweetie. I feel like that's <laughs> such a sweet name. <laughs> you see him in a different light. <laughs> Oh, you do. Oh, that's so great. Thank you. You can add that to the, you know, once everyone <laughs> questioned how you shit yourself and go on in a fight, just chuck that in. At <laughs> Have you done a deep dive before into real names and uh, things like that, like in terms of stage names for musicians and uncovering that side of that side of things? Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you my favorite one. Um, and I, it's one I really need to go back and reread just to make sure I've got the exact details right about it. But David David Bowie was obviously David Jones when he was born, and he was going to be David Jones as a musician. But then the monkeys got big, and and David Jones was was a big name, so he had to change it. So the story that most of us know is that it goes from David Jones to David Bowie. But what I read in a biography was that in between there, he actually had another name that he decided was his musical name. 
So instead of going straight to Bowie, he changed his name from David Jones. He thought, I'll get rid of David. And he called himself mm. Tom Jones. And then <laughs> he was about to release his music. Tom Jones suddenly got massive. And he was like, oh, Jesus Christ, what is it? And had to change it again. And that's how we ended up with David Bowie. Yeah. I love Bowie. He could change his name to whatever, and I would have I would have been behind that. Me too. I, he's actually my favorite musician, and I I actually wanted to give the answer. The first gig I ever went to was a Bowie gig because my mum, when she was seven months pregnant with me, went to the Serious Moonlight tour in Hong Kong twice, two wow. nights in a row. Wow. So I was in there. I was at the gig. I was just in an extra room. Wow, <laughs> extra room, a really cramped room. Actually. A really cramped room. So tell me more. Or in the in terms of the book, the show must go on news. I like that because again, speaking of being dweeby, I like the story about Roger Daltrey, so the Who frontman, really cool rock and roll guy. Obviously, uh, you know, ma- massive deal in that world. But um, this year, he actually paused their show to ask the audience, whoever it was in the audience who was smoking weed, smoking cannabis, to stop doing it because he was was allergic to it. And so the audience sort of laughed, thinking, yeah, right, you're rock and roll. You're just, you know, you're having us on. And he got really angry. He was like, I'm not kidding. Whoever it is down there, you fuck my mind. I'm allergic to this shit. My voice will just go. Just put it out. So... That was an actual quote, by the way. That's oh, was what he that said. an actual quote? I know Madonna's walked off stage before because of she stopped shows because of smoke, and uh, Britney Spears yeah. apparently also once stopped a show because of yeah. smoke. I've left a yeah. show because of smoke. I mean, I'm yeah. really. <laughs> See, Marcy stops his shows if he sees a sausage. <laughs> He's, he's, uh, he hates meat. He he's hates meat. Oh, and so yeah. I think there's been concerts where he's been playing festivals where he's been told there's not going to be any meat or whatever, and he sees like a sausage stand or... Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. Um, oh, no, that, that's true. He nearly walked off. I was uh, covering Flow Festival in Helsinki in Finland, and he um, didn't come on for a long time. And it was because he, his his people were checking if there was any meat around in the stalls. And obviously, as you know, uh, Finnish culture, they definitely don't shy away from meat in in any respect. Yeah. Um, And then he finally came on but played a shorter set. So I don't know if he was like, it was not enough meat or too much meat or not any. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what the ratio was. Wow. There was one other really non-rock and roll story from the year, actually. This is in our book um, about Jimmy Page. So, again, Led Zeppelin guitarist really you'd think he's into his loud head-banging music yeah. and he's in massive dispute with Robbie Williams who lives next door to him or who lives really near him <laughs> um, because it's sound complaints isn't it he's saying that Robbie Williams has been blasting Black Sabbath music very loudly <laughs> along with Deep Purple and Pink Floyd and it's keeping him awake at night yeah it's upsetting him so they're in this big dispute because Robbie Williams wants to build a swimming pool underneath his house and what? Jimmy Page is saying that's going to mess with my house because you're going to be, you know, just shifting the ground underneath and my house tip over. And so that's the dispute. And yeah, Robbie Williams is, um, has fired back with this. Just, we were talking about the Spice Girls a second ago. They're in the book. Mel B has announced this year that she's going to launch a range of sex toys, but they're going to be, yeah, they're going to be upmarket. They're going to have a splash of leopard on them. (laughs) Is that well, it seems like a bit of a paradox, a splash of leopard yeah. print, but also <laughs> I'd be impressed if she really nails that. I mean, it's it's visually enticing. It's that's that's wild. Wow. Yeah. Sorry, Alex James, a blur. You know the um. Yes. Guitar, uh, the bass player. Yes. He's also 
he's also a cheese maker. He's, he oh. spends most of his time making cheese in the UK now. And this year, he himself was turned into a block of cheese. Which is very exciting. It's not as exciting as you think. Oh, come on. <laughs> it is wait, exciting. Wait, what do you mean? Am I being... Yeah. What? Good, good question. Okay, so the VNA, um, which is a museum in London, uh, they took bacteria from him, and that bacteria was then turned into oh. a block of cheese. Oh. So you can, yeah, you can see him as Cheshire cheese. Uh, Cheshire cheese. You can see the singer <laughs> Professor Green as a block of mozzarella. Uh, <laughs> but wait, so is it cannibalism if you then eat it? Good question. Um, I think it. God, maybe it is. Yeah, you'll have the police at your door within moments. Don't risk it. <laughs> Are there any more facts about gigs in particular, considering that we really focus on gigs on the show and especially the nuance of performance and things like that with our artists? So Yeah, well, we were talking about Louis Capaldi pausing a concert to go for a uh, toilet break, but um, Celine Dion this year paused her concert so that one of her fans could go to the toilet, which is what? quite amazing. Oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> yeah, she, like, the tickets cost so much. It's not fair. I'm probably going to do My Heart Will Go On in a second. You, yeah. you better... Uh, you better do this. Imagine how much pressure that is, though, for that poor person who needs the loo. Yeah. You know, they might be having a real episode in there. Uh-huh. And they wanted to just have 20 minutes of time <laughs> on that toilet. And now they know that there's, what, 10,000 people out there just yeah. waiting impatiently. Yeah. How does she know that he wanted to go to the toilet, guys? Like, what if, what if he just wanted to actually just leave? What if he wasn't enjoying himself and just wanted to exit in peace? Good question. I think she knew he did want to leave and she <laughs> gave him... <laughs> Yeah. Very clever. Gave him an ultimatum. Yeah. 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 It's, it's weird, um, this didn't make it into the book, um, but I've just remembered it. Um, so My Heart Will Go On is the song in Titanic, right? Yeah. That was the big song. In Mexico this year, there was a, there was a mall um, where the ground floor got flooded because the roof of this mall just started letting rainwater through. And it completely flooded and everyone evacuated the ground floor. Everyone except the one band that was playing on the ground floor. They were up on a tiny miniature stage. So everyone was watching them from the above levels um, into the (laughs) courtyard where they were. Um, And they played My Heart Will Go On as they were... Like like God. the sinking of the Titanic. That's, That's so ominous. Yeah. Don't play that. Play like the Noah's Ark theme tune or something. Play something. <laughs> yeah. What 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 is the theme tune that you guys would want when you just before you just before you croak? That is the most morbid question I've ever asked. I'm sorry. It's pretty morbid. Oh, what song would we put? Well, if we knew we were about to go, yeah. And you just get a one to have a song. Yeah. Um. Um, oh god i'd panic and say something really awful um i'd probably say build me up buttercup and that's kind of nice when you're dead then buttercups can sprout yeah. out of your grave and, and perhaps that's got some meaning yeah. um or in fact the venger boys just because i was thinking about the venger boys cause they also feature in our book and this i think this might have been my favorite gig fact yeah. from this year Sorry, the Venger Boys, a massive band here, really cheesy yeah. band from the 90s. They initially had a bus company where they would um, <laughs> sort of rent out big buses. They didn't have that. Did they not? Did they not? Oh, okay. no, I just oh, looked, looked it up. Right, they're, they're, they're Dutch. They're from Rotterdam. Dutch. Ah, oh, cool. Okay. That's terrible. Well, I feel they, like we all have egos that we're like, oh, of course they're ours. they got to be from here. Yeah. <laughs> They, they had a tune that was kind of on par with like the Macarena or like in that territory. Yeah. The Venga bus is coming. And and everybody everybody is yeah. yeah, that's such a great it's track. Not, it's, 
It's a great dance track, but basically uh, they also have the song uh, "We're Going to Ibiza." Oh, we're going to Ibiza. Yeah. Uh, song. Basically, this year there was this weird political scandal in Austria called the Ibiza scandal, and there was this huge corruption thing where the uh, sort of far right member of government was caught doing a dodgy deal, bribing someone in Ibiza, and people were up in arms about this, and the government was brought down and everything, but. The Austrians decided, well, let's have a theme tune to this crazy government corruption scandal. And suddenly, Venger Boys became incredibly popular. So sales of their 1999 like, album that that was on suddenly multiplied massively. They, they became a huge thing. And they went to Austria. So for the first time in sort of 20 years, they found themselves gigging in Austria, being sort of flooded with requests for people to come to their town. And yeah, it was great. They had a renaissance on account of this obscure government corruption. Scandal. What got you onto the Venga Boys when you were you just diving deep into facts? Because Venga Boys, I feel like, is like a particular, just like the Spice Girls, they have that thing within all of us if you grew up around that time. You know, yeah. it really like does that, uh, it makes your heart thump a little because it's when it's like our most formative years when our brains are bubbling and forming. Yeah. So, what made you get yeah. into that one? I think it's just so when we would do research for this, we just go very deep into the news. And once you're on page 59 of the New York Times, <laughs> they're genuine material. They've done, they've finally exhausted their Trump coverage and their Brexit coverage. And <laughs> so, no, I think it was because it was quite a big deal. So the political scandal was quite a big political deal. And this is the most fun thing about our jobs is when you think you're reading about something, you know, important, but a bit dry and a bit complex. And suddenly, halfway through the article, this thing pops up, which is like, oh, well, this has caused the Venga boys to soar in popularity. Mm. Um, it's it's very exciting That's wonderful. Yeah. And then you, you sent through one about tribute bands that I would love for you guys to talk about, because I think that uh, tribute bands and cover bands are this kind of enigma. Yeah, well, it is true, right? Like, um, one of the there's a very big band, which is the Tribute Pink Floyd band that's, you know, they sell out the Royal Albert Hall whenever they come here. They've, they've got global careers and the bootleg Beatles have been together longer than the Beatles were together. Yeah. I mean, it is an extraordinary industry. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, tribute bands from the news this year. Um, I think it's most like, I quite like tribute bands who, so obviously you get the amazing ones who are, I think that Abba, what's the Abba one? They're quite good as well. Um, that are genuinely really popular and that Bjorn again. And um, then you get the ones who sort of aren't taking themselves too seriously. So you've got the red, not chili peppers, uh, which is <laughs> Alanis. Or is it Alanish? It's sort of like it's like Alanis, but it's Alanish. Uh, <laughs> Ish. I think there's Blob Williams, and I quite like those ones as well. I was saying, look, we're probably not as good as these guys, but come see us anyway. Yeah. Because there was a great story last year. Again, I don't think it made our book um, in our in our last year's book, but um, there was a guy who was celebrating an anniversary with his girlfriend, and the, both of them are ginormous Red Hot Chili Pepper fans, which is massive. And they live in the UK and he was looking to see if there was any chance they were going to be in the UK and um, or just near him. And he saw that they were playing Dublin. And so he thought, this is incredible. I'm going to book. We should tickets. we should emphasize immediately that Dublin is not in the UK. And yeah. Dan definitely is aware of that. I know that's what I said. <laughs> somewhere near. Yeah. yeah. Got it. Um, and so, <laughs> yeah, so he, he booked the tickets to go see them. And, and he was like, it's God, I can't believe I even managed to get tickets. You know, this isn't even like a massive venue. So he booked the flights. He, um, they arrived, he had the hotel and it was 
on their way to the gig, but they realized that he hadn't booked tickets to the Red Hot Chili Peppers. He had booked tickets to the Red Hot Chili Pipers, who were <laughs> a tribute bagpipe band who played <laughs> Chili Pepper songs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which is, oh, wonderful. All the effort. Maybe Why they were so amazing. Crazy. They loved it. They Maybe loved they love it. it. They said no, it was fantastic. I mean, Red Hot, that is that has to be like a, a troll, an online troll in real life, because the Red Hot Chili Peppers are already trolled for the sound of their music. And then to have it mixed with bagpipes, I mean, that's like yeah. screeching uh, chalk. Yeah. Oh, Leo, I've got a actually um, my first gig that I remember going to as an adult. Yeah. You know, there's obviously a game changer, isn't there, where these gigs you go to with your parents open yeah. your eyes when you discover your own music and you go to your first gig without your parents. The one for me that did that was the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and I saw them in <laughs> And it was amazing. I was about 50 people back in the audience, maybe a bit more, so it's quite a distance. And at one point, Chad Smith, the drummer, stood up and threw a bottle of water into the crowd, and it landed right into my hand. No. It was amazing. So I suddenly had half a bottle of water, which I really needed as well, <laughs> oh from God. Chad. And then... About 15 minutes later, Flea, the bass player, yes. who's drinking out of a red cup, throws his red cup into the audience and no. it lands in my hand. No. So I'm now holding two drinks that the chili peppers have been drinking <laughs> on. Oh my God. Wait, we already wonder. know that you're a lucky bastard, and yeah. now you've just caught <laughs> the shit I'm talking about. <laughs> Fuck. Fuck. Wait, so um, Flea's actually coming out with a memoir. He's coming. Uh, they sent it to me. His publishing company just sent me a copy. Flea as a human versus Flea on stage. You just, all I picture him is just leaning into his base with his tongue out. And just this mm -hmm. wild, like, monster. So the fact that you actually caught something thrown by oh, him. I felt like I was drinking, you know, the nectar of the gods. <laughs> kind of. Wait, did you keep that cup? Do you still have yeah, that I, bottle and cup? I, do you know what? Unfortunately, my mum threw it away because she was like, oh. it was getting moldy. Um, but yeah, I, I framed both of them. They were in my room throughout my whole teenagehood. Um, oh, that's so well, good. Yeah. Let's take a quick break, but we'll be right back. Okay, and now we're on our way back to the chat with Anna and Dan. We're going to talk about some eerie, spooky, altogether kooky Halloween facts. Just a little heads up, unfortunately, that the audio gets a little less rich in these last 15 or so minutes. It's still very clear and the facts are very brilliant, but a little ghost decided to visit us and wrap its damn head in the wires. Nevertheless, on with the show. So tell me a little bit about the Halloween facts that you have. So basically, the the origin of the idea that witches fly around on broomsticks, we think, actually, this is according to a historian called Jordan de Bergamo. He says that uh, witches used to like to anoint themselves with this specific hallucinogenic drug. Um, it was called Datura. Uh, sorry, not witches, just women, uh, normal women, which is not a thing. Um, and they would take this hallucinogenic drug um, sometimes up their, up their bottoms it was a good suppository so that's how it works best and so you'd sort of see women uh taking stuff up their bums on the end of a broomstick and that's and then they'd have a hallucination where they're flying and what are they going to fly with while they're holding this broomstick and that all sort of merged together into this myth 
origin story of witches flying around on broomsticks. Yeah. They're actually just shoving drugs up their bum. Yeah, well, well, it's, I mean, so I read this fact initially, I think this was my fact on the Mm -hmm. podcast, uh, from a book by Wade Davis, and I had to tone it down because the bottom is the second best place for them to have done it. Yeah, okay. Um, So, yeah. (laughs) Is that toning it down? I think they're both equally rude. Me too. Do you? Yeah, I agree. If I said witches are putting brooms up their vaginas, that'd be... Yeah. Less rude or equally rude as bottom? I, uh, Both are invasive. I maybe less. <laughs> wow, okay. So there you go. Insight into... A little, you can do a poll. There can be a poll after this podcast. See which people think is more or less rude. Yeah. yeah. I, I won't ask the question again. They can just uh, they can just answer just without a prompt. They can yeah. just... Up the bumble. I really like... This is probably, I think, one of my favorite facts of all time. Um, and it's just to do more with spirits and ghosts. Um, it's that when so, so Arthur Conan Doyle the author of the Sherlock Holmes series um, he once headlined a gig at the Royal Albert Hall six days after he died <laughs> so this was a memorial show that his family threw but they were super spiritual they really believed that when you died you went away so they weren't emotional when he died they thought he might as well have just moved to Australia because he's still around <laughs> he's just not here presently um, so they threw this big show at the Albert Hall 6,000 people crammed the hall because they were told that at the end of the evening he would be coming to say hello and they had a clairvoyant who was on stage who summoned the spirit of uh, Conan Doyle and the, the clairvoyant and the family claim that he actually showed up, people watching it are less enthusiastic about um, the truth of that. But, um, yeah, and it's the second gig, as far as I can tell, that Conan Doyle played in the Royal Albert Hall. The first one was he was judging a bodybuilding contest many years before. Oh, yeah, he was really into bodybuilding, wasn't he? Yeah. He was obsessed with that. Yeah, Conan Doyle had uh, such weird beliefs. For someone who created Sherlock Holmes, the most logical, fact-based character, Conan Doyle believed in spirituality and ghosts and coming back from the dead. And he was friends with Harry Houdini, the very, very famous uh, magician, who tried to convince Conan Doyle it was all illusion. Houdini's thing was, you know, all magic is just illusion. It's not real. Conan Doyle refused to believe it. Yeah, he thought he was lying. He was like, now you're doing magic. Yeah. (laughs) I love those. I can't believe that they allowed um, that they believed that he wasn't uh, he wasn't dead and that everybody filled the hall as well. It wasn't like there was just no skeptics back then. Yeah, they yeah. Just believed uh, great it. stuff. Yeah, it's so good. You never know; it might happen now. You wouldn't want to risk it. There yeah. might still be a lot of non-skeptics out there. Yeah. And, and the Albert Hall has had a few ghost sightings generally, so I feel like it was a... Like, I know there was one, I think, during a Sting concert. I think someone saw a ghost in the crowd. Um, really? I think that was probably just one of the members of the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I was just thinking, wasn't it just Sting on stage performing? Well, yeah. Yeah, most likely. Yeah. Um, I actually really like this fact about um, The Exorcist. Everyone's like, you know, the most scary film ever made, I think, according to most of us. Um, But the woman who played Reagan, the voice of Reagan in The Exorcist, you know, that terrifying, quirky voice, um, she only agreed to take part if she could have two priests in her sound booth at all times and be constantly drinking whiskey, smoking cigarettes and eating raw eggs. (laughs) And um, that was, was partly because she said that the cigarettes and the raw eggs made her voice sound good and throaty. And it was largely because she was an alcoholic, so she insisted yeah. on being able to drink whiskey all the time. So do you, whenever you hear that voice in The Exorcist, it's just sort of a drunk, chain-smoking woman. Yeah. 
Here's a, here's a tiny interesting connection between The Exorcist and QI. Um, mm -hmm. The Exorcist was, the theme tune was created by Mike Oldfield from his album Tubular Bells. It was, oh, a, yeah. it was a riff that was used there. Yeah. And the very first QI researcher was the daughter of Mike Oldfield. Yeah, Molly, Molly Oldfield. Oldfield. Yeah. There you go. Oh, that's so dun, interesting. Dun, dun. Yeah. But I don't know what's, what the ones that you sent over versus what's in the book. Are these all from the book or are these just ones that you... No, none of these are in the book, actually. These are just our general Halloween classics. facts. Yeah, yeah. classics. Because um, the book's about the year and, and this bit of the year hasn't happened yet. Right. <laughs> right. Good, good thinking. Thank you. I feel like a right idiot. Um, no, no, I didn't mean it that way. There's one you wrote down about the Afrikaans word for candy floss and it's... Spook oh, yeah, awesome. lovely, isn't it? How would you pronounce it? I I would say spookasem, but may, you might have a better pronunciation actually. Can you you do you know any Afrikaans? Yes. So Afrikaans is my second language. So I mean, but I don't speak okay. it very well. But it's um, spook awesome. So awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So nice. there's a nice little ass in there. And um Yeah. I, I know Always that, love an ass in a word. <laughs> I know that you love etymology, Anna, so that it was a really fun fact that I love to that was great because Afrikaans, I don't know if you've like talked about a lot of facts with Afrikaans, but there are so many amazing phrases in Afrikaans direct that when you translate them to English and they mean completely yeah. different things to to the actual meaning. Um, so, yeah, well, I mean, we should say, if we said that mean, it means ghost breath, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. sorry, we forgot to say. <laughs> yes. That's that's what the candy floss means. But we should research Afrikaans. We've never really talked about it. So you, ab Africa, you absolutely should. There's an amazing, talking about Halloween, uh, a, a bat is a flare mesa, which is like a flying mouse. Like Macy, ma Macy okay. is, a, is a mouse. Um, uh -huh. And that's a, in, in Afrikaans, that's what it means. And uh, which is um, a hex, H-A-K-S. H A okay. H E K S a hex. Oh, um, uh, really? Okay, like a hex, like a curse. Yes. So similar to that. Weirdly, I, I mean, it's definitely not. Um, I don't know the origin of that word, but there used to be a really beloved little witch called Liver Hexy, which is like lovely witch, and she was a radio oh, story okay. series um, in the sixties, and then obviously when I was growing up, it was she was on TV. And it's like this little weird character, puppet character called Liver Hexy. And that's really oh, um, kind of sweet. Yeah. And obviously, as you said earlier, ghost is spook, like spook, um, how you, yeah. you know, how you write it. But you should definitely yeah. look. There's, there's, some, there's some amazing phrases. Oh, well, look, keep an ear on the podcast. We'll, yeah. we'll definitely have an episode the next year. Yeah. It's going to come up. <laughs> yeah. um, Do you have any Halloween music facts, like the crossover between Halloween and music? Um, well, we know that uh, something that is in the book this year, um, the, the Prince of Darkness, Ozzy Osbourne, mm -hmm. um, he, uh, he's on his retirement tour, um, which is called No More Tours mm -hmm. 2, because unfortunately, about 19 years ago, he actually had his first retirement tour, um, <laughs> No More Tours tour. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, but then he has to postpone <laughs> his uh, tour because he's been injured and he's a bit ill. Um, so he's going to do his retirement tour soon, but right. not yet. Right, okay. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's very, these people can never decide when to leave the stage. 
But Ozzy Osbourne, the Halloweeny thing that he did that's probably most famous is when he bit the head off a live bat on stage, which, you know, you probably remember. And he um, always said that he didn't know it was a live bat, so it was a thing everyone's like, he's so disgusting, a live bat? Actually, someone threw what he thought was just a toy bat from the audience. So he grabbed it and kind of ripped his head off. And he said in an interview, it was absolutely disgusting, my mouth just filled with, like, hot blood and fur. And he realised to his horror... He was eating uh, a live bat's head. Yeah. So. They actually released official merchandise this year for it. You can buy a plush toy bat that's head ripped off. Can you? Yeah. That's great. I, I wish it was edible. Halloween. That would be perfect. That's so great. I think yeah. Ozzy Osbourne is be. the most fascinating. He's su- such a fascinating character to uh, to research because he has all these kind of terrible things that have happened to him, like falling off stage or... I don't know, just getting into so many accidents. And then obviously calling his tour something like that is an omen, right? Because he's just kind of willing it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) He's just willing it into existence. So thank you so much for all those facts. Was there anything from the book? Because I really want people to, obviously, I've been talking about your podcast for a very long time. And I've also just wanted people to get in on that. But I think now that the book is out and you're coming to the US, you have a few dates I have them in front of me, but most of them are sold out. So I feel a horrid person to be telling people about your shows when they can't actually come to any of them. I know. We're definitely hoping to come back next year, but I think there's one more that's not quite sold out in New York. We added an extra New York date, so you should be able to get to that. Yeah, they've just released some new tickets, so um, that's the one to come to. It's on the 7th of November. Yeah. Is that the New York Comedy Festival date? Yes, it is, yeah. Yeah. Do you tailor your shows then? Because coming from obviously knowing your audience, because it's from, you know, it's where you come from. So if you're touring around the UK, you can kind of understand and have that familiarity with your audience. But coming to the US, not that you you don't consume US media and or pop culture, but do you feel like you are going to tailor it a little? No, absolutely. And we definitely will have to do that. It's only sort of when you're having a conversation like this, you realise how many just British references there are in our lives. And so we'd make an effort for that and hopefully uh, we won't have audiences of just confused-looking, silent people staring at us. <laughs> but... We'll get through it if we do. And and talking about the book, do you have a favorite fact that you both found individually um, that you didn't really have to sell to the other two members of the show, that it was just an instant right that's going straight into the book? Um, yeah, I think for me it was that um, I read that there was a poll in Australia that was done just before their recent election for prime minister. And that poll revealed that Australia's most trusted politician is the prime minister of New Zealand. <laughs> Yeah, doesn't bode well for Australian politics. Um, I really—it's so hard to choose. I really liked um, the British government sent uh, the British government issued a death sentence to a single bee, and this was a bee that had come from Turkey, I think, had somehow got over to Britain, and there was a death sentence issued for the bee to go and be executed. So we've gotten very. We've clamped down on crime <laughs> in the bee world in this country. He's not the one you're meant to go after. They're going after the wrong dude. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what feeds both of your creativity when you aren't working on QI and the show um, and, you know, the podcast? What do you do outside of it to make sure that your brain isn't constantly just overworking? 
Uh, well, I have a two-year-old son, and so no all of my effort is on eBay buying retro toys that I used to like <laughs> and trying to force it onto him. So I've currently got a nice uh, mint condition Mork and Mindy Mork toy of Robin Williams. I've oh got uh, some Ninja Turtles uh, that I found on eBay. So very much my spare time is just spending money on a very bizarre old yeah. toys from this, the 80s. This poor kid is so doomed. <laughs> He's only two, and Dan forced him into this pigeonhole of like weird <laughs> comedy nerd, and um, he's going to have no friends. Yeah, but he knows all the names of the Beatles now. He has a Beatles he bus, does. you know. Does he yeah, really? he's got a magical mystery tour bus. Oh, yeah. What he's more does cool he kid. need? He doesn't need anything else. That's all he needs. But plus, he'll have your luck passed down through the genes, so he's good for life. You know, exactly. he's sorted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And you, Anna? Uh, what do I, how do I feed my imagination? I mainly feed it in the pub. Okay. Uh, when I'm not uh, doing QI stuff. I mean, this seems to take up about 90% of our lives. I don't know how Dan fits in a child. But doing that and um, getting out, we all live in London, so usually getting out into the countryside where I'm about to go now, actually, and just oh, trying to, I think that's the best way to try and clear all the rubble out of your mind sometimes, to walk up a mountain or something. Can you both just speak to the importance then that you've found in uh, taking risks within this podcast and just really being, you know, like how is producing and creating it really allowed you to, you know, engage with storytelling? I suppose maybe my question is actually, let me stop myself, is what appeals to you about the podcasting format? I think that is actually my question. Sorry, thank you for that journey. Um, well, for me, um, I've always seen it, this is a bit of a reference point, but I sort of see it as kind of like the Wu-Tang Clan. Um, you see them walking around with their logo on their shirts. They all have side projects. They're all doing something interesting, but they come back together and do this thing. And the, what the podcast has meant is that we've got this one central product that we all, uh, product's the wrong word, you know, fun, funny show. Fun piece um, of output. Yeah, yeah. output, you know. Um, <laughs> but it means that you've suddenly got this ability to go, all right, well, let's take it on stage. Let's release a book. Let's do a vinyl. Let's make posters. Let's, you know, do a mug. It just has so many different outlets that it, it's, you know, we could do a comic book next if we wanted to, or it's, it allows you to touch on almost virtually every creative art uh, that is available. You know, we might do a painting next, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it won't sell, but We're not doing cares? a painting, Dan. We're not going to do a painting. I'm not going to stop pushing okay. my painting range exhibition idea. <laughs> We've already been whacking on about the comic book for about five years. Uh, yeah, I think it's a great format also for the freedom that you get. So we all work for the BBC, which is a great institution in itself, but um, being able to just say anything and and there's no there's no boss above you telling you you're not allowed to put that on air. You know, I can talk about witches putting broomsticks covered in hallucinogenics up their vaginas. <laughs> and the BBC aren't going to cut me off. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty exciting. Have they ever cut you off at any point? Well, there's no one to cut there's us no off. There's no one to. It's only us. We do. We cut each other off. Okay. Definitely. <laughs> we, have, we have levels of stuff that we don't think we should say. Um, but no, but that's just answering to our sensibilities. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you both. I'm uh, thrilled to have spent this last little bit of time with you, especially after being a consumer of this product for many years. Um, 
And oh, well, thanks so much for having us. It's amazing to hear that. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah. It was just, it's just been wonderful. And I think uh, I love your story in the beginning, Dan, about how people really um, connect with you and the show. And I think that, you know, having that idea in the back of your mind that a, a silly podcast about facts can really help people, you know, kind of escape a little is so important. You know, sorry to take the, you know, there's no humor in that. It's just really true. No, no. Yeah. I mean, there's uh, just one small story. Um, that happened to me. This is this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. We, after my wife and I had our son, she got a bit ill with mastitis, which is off breastfeeding, and mm-hmm. it, it turned into an abscess. It was it was very scary, and we went into hospital, and she needed to have surgery. It was so big, uh, the abscess, and she was very scared. She's not had surgery before, so we met this doctor, and this doctor walked us through and said, "You're going under," and all this sort of comforting stuff. And we were looking at this lady to save our lives, you know, because it was looking scary. There was blood poisoning happening and so on. And so a few days later, she has the surgery. And this doctor, who's the leading surgeon, comes up to the room to tell us that my wife is doing okay. And it was very rare for that to happen because that you don't usually have, it's only the nurses that come up um, afterwards. We were told we weren't going to see the doctor. And just before she left, saying, your wife is okay, the surgery went really well, she said, by the way, I just want to quickly say that um, every Friday, I am the breast surgeon of this hospital. And some days, things go horribly wrong. Some days they go well, but, you know, sometimes things go really bad, and it really messes me up, and I get really sad. So every Friday, I get home. My husband is waiting for me with a bottle of red wine. And we sit down, we pour ourselves a glass, and we both listen to the latest episode of No Such Thing as a Fish. And it's the only thing that brings me back to sanity to realize that I should be blessed about all the stuff in the world. And it was the most extraordinary. You know, this woman had just really, I was looking to her to save everything that mattered to me in life. And she told me that I'm a big part of saving her to save people. Wow. And that's a weird thing to hear. That's the most powerful thing I've ever encountered. This Must Be The Gig is produced by Adam Kibble and we'd like to thank Billy Yost and The Kickback for our theme song, Rube, and buy their music at thekickbackband.com, Daniel Brater and Dean Berger for the additional sound design, and The Consequence Podcast Network, where you'll find a bunch of other amazing shows. listened this far why not go the extra mile and leave us a review on apple podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts your comments provide valuable feedback for us and it helps other people find us too for information on new episodes be sure to follow us on facebook twitter or instagram at tmbtgpod and generally just irritate everyone you know about the show thanks again and i miss you already Thank you again for listening to this week's episode. 
here's a little reminder that StubHub is the best place to score the tickets you need whenever you need them. Backed by their 100% fan protect guarantee, StubHub has the seats you want at the price you want to pay. And they're never sold out, so you can score tickets up to the last minute. Head to cosradio.lv slash StubHub. That's cosradio.lv slash StubHub. And then enjoy the show. Consequence Podcast Network.